Welcome to Red River podcast episode number. I think this is like 98. I don't even remember. It doesn't really matter. Yeah. But uh, uh, this is so cool. We get to talk to you, Christian Hand, uh, today. And for people that don't know, um, I it all started to meet with me. Like, we're Johnny Come Lately's, man. Like, we heard the Tom Segura episode. And uh, that was, like, probably one of the... It's probably the best podcast episode that I heard this year on any show whatsoever. Um, a, a lot of stuff on there, uh, a, lot, a lot of history that, uh, the, the Christian gave and, and, and really uh, you're just a, a, a music lover, a music nerd with, with such a long, rich history. And you've said it yourself, like your, your life is kind of bizarre as, as far as like music goes. And, uh, we're just <laughs> super happy to talk to you. So thank you for doing it. Pleasure. Thanks for having me on. Um, and then the other connection was the, you know, my buddy Rob, my buddy Rob G put out a documentary called Analog Love, uh, which was like two episodes ago. And I'm like sitting there watching the documentary. And I was like, that's the dude from the Segura show. And then it also came together where he was sending me mixes of his new musical project. And he was like, oh, I'm working on it with my buddy. And I just all these things just came together in my head. And it, they all came down to you. So, <laughs> yes, that's a lot of me you've experienced very rapidly. Yeah, very. Yeah, we, we, we definitely went in there. So, um, man, I, I got to say, like, I've, I've been listening to Rob's music for, for so long. And uh, I, I don't know. How did that come about? Like, just real quick, that project, because the music that you guys made um, is the best music that he's done. And you produced oh. it, right? I did. I did. Uh, well, basically, you know, uh, our buddy Rob had a, a pretty traumatic experience of COVID, which was, uh, I mean, everyone's had a pretty shitty and awful experience of COVID, but his was extra shitty. And I watched him go through some really heavy crap and, you know, him being engaged to somebody who immediately gets geo-locked into her city. So for like... 15 months of his relationship post his engagement. He doesn't get to see her. And then all the other hit, you know, he said it was, it was awful. So I just sort of went to him and said, Hey man, let's, you know, I, I know that he's made a bunch of music and I have also, you know, I've been one of my, one of the roads on my journey was making records over there. Um, and uh, I just sort of went to him and, and I, I kind of I hadn't really worked. Obviously, you know, I've been doing the session stuff, but I hadn't made any music for a while. And uh, I hadn't been able to um, the racetrack of my neighborhood. Uh, I hadn't been able to sort of stretch those muscles and work those out. So I just went to him and I was like, hey, man, if you want, you know, if you're willing to make a record the way that I'm, I'll make the record, then let's just do a record and I don't, I'm not going to charge you for it. Let's just do it just to have an experience to be able to, you know, make some music. Cause otherwise my, you know, my creative muscles in this way are going to get pretty atrophied. So we just did uh, an entire album over yeah. COVID. Um, and uh, I'm really, I'm really proud of it. It's got some, it's got some of my favorite work that I've done on it. And Rob, I'm not an easy person to work with. Um, you know, I pushed him pretty hard. I'm not what I call an Apple space bar guy, which is people that just fucking press Apple space bar, which engages record. And then you just get to throw up a bunch of shit. I'm like, no, I make records the way records are being made. And even if I'm not being paid for it, it doesn't matter to me. It's about people hearing my work, which is to use the recording studio as an instrument. So why would I want to have stuff out there that I don't think is the best that it could be? So I ground him down about vocals and lyrics and um, we worked really hard on it. And I'm really proud of it. I think it's got some beautiful, beautiful moments on it. And he was willing to just let me sort of take, it's more of a, once again, like as my favorite records, I was talking to a friend of mine about it the other day, my favorite records sound like mixtapes. You know, like go back and listen to Face Value by Phil Collins. And that's not actually a consistent record. It has, you know, it goes from in the air tonight to and then it has the whole fucking, you know, the, the Rust Bowl song is on there. So other than his voice, the rest of it has even got a cover. You know, it's got Tomorrow Never Knows by the Beatles. So other than his voice, the rest of it is like every song sounds different. And I hate the fact that that became like a lost art form. So I make records that sound like mixtapes, which was an appropriate 
sort of the Venn diagram met beautifully there for the two of us. So uh, I'm really proud of it. He did a great job and, um, you know, he worked really, really hard. So and I think it shows. So yeah. I'm glad that you like it. I love it. I can't wait for it to like actually come out. I don't know when he's going to drop it. Um, but I mean, it's funny, like, you know, we all grew up on Long Island. So like I, and we're kind of like the same age, uh, me and Rob anyway. Um, so we, we kind of like we're into the same stuff. So listening to it, but then the production value is great, too. Uh, it's funny that you mentioned Phil Collins, too. I was going to ask you, did you ever do a sessions with um, something happen on the way to heaven? No, I've done. The only one I have from him is uh, one of the from the ladder records, which is Dancing to the Light, which isn't my favorite Phil era, um, but it's at least still got him playing real drums and the drums sound fucking bananas. And it's a great it's a great song. So that's unfortunately the only one I have from uh, Uncle Phil as of right now. OK, yeah, I, I just I, there's something about this uh, something happened on the way to heaven that it just it seems like it, it it would just lend itself a lot to like the sessions and stuff. So uh, just for everyone that doesn't know, obviously, um, you do something called basically where you break down the song. And um, and, and this this is this really connected with me. And I'm going to tell you why. When I was younger, I was about 15 or 16 living in Selden, which is right by, uh, you know, Port Jeff. Port Jeff uh, sure. Yeah. So I was list I, I would play guitar, but I didn't really know how to play. And one day I really wanted to learn how to play um Hello Kitty Cat off of Pisces Iscariot, which is a Smashing Pumpkins record. Um, and my friend John, who played guitar, was like, What do you want to know? I'm like, just teach me this song. And it seemed impossible, but when he played it, he played the rhythm track, which is what I would be playing. And it was when I was younger, when you listen to music, it's so overwhelming because you hear all these sounds. It's like, how am I ever going to play this? But the way you break it down, it's just it, it's so brilliant because it's like, yo, if you're trying to learn stuff, you know, this is a band. When you play it all together, that's when the, the like the real magic happens, you know. So when I saw you doing this breakdown, it really brought me back to that time where he, John Harvitz, shout out to him, and he showed me that rhythm track and from there i've been playing guitar ever since so no oh, nice well you can blame him for your misery <laughs> yeah for sure but uh so be, like, it if really you... gives you i'm sorry no no i was, I gonna was just say... gonna say no it gives me appreciate these songs that are like you know wallpaper for my life as a music lover and stuff but i i've never really heard them my question like until i hear those parts you know really actively listening and not passively listening to some of these things as background music really engages you well thank you i mean that was sort of my that's exactly what i've called it you know i'm like the problem with most of these great songs because of you know familiarity breeds contempt because we're human beings they do become musical wallpaper and you end up sort of not realizing that they're pieces of art and each one is a three and a half four minute five minute six minute eleven minute masterpiece where, you know, you don't just have the song. If you've got five people in the band, you have five individual stories. If you have five people in the band and an engineer and a producer, you got seven individual stories and there's seven stories. You know, each one is a miniature movie. And, you know, my art, the music, recorded music is the only art form where you can unpaint the painting. There's no other art form where you can go in and strip it down to its its bare you know its bare elements and still have it hold together. You can't do it with film. You can't do it with a book. You can't do it with a painting. You can't do it with a dance. You can't do it with anything. So we get this unbelievable gift of being able to reach into these songs and have the songs actually tell us more about themselves than we at first blush even imagined possible. And then to be able to hear these performances of these masters you know i mean if you look at the beatles the each four of those members are a master the eagles every single person is a master the stones name it you know and to be able to show their brilliance and then to put it all together to get people you know and then this the really cool thing was what i didn't realize that i was doing when i first started was teaching you know as a as a person who's been in the studio and worked on music and worked with engineers and I, I, I can, and I think part of my Asperger's was an ability to be able, my parents always said that I could always pick out things in songs. And I think that I assumed that everybody could do that. Turns out they can't, but it is actually learnable. So one of the things that I've been able to do through doing this is that when you strip away the pieces and then you put them all back together, you're actually teaching people a sort of tertiary EQ, 
And now people hit me up and are like, dude, I can hear bass lines in songs where I couldn't hear them before because you yeah. teach them where those things sit because it's just fucking math. It's not, I mean, it's complicated and that's an art form unto itself, but it is just math. So once you learn where, once you learn where that lies inside the spectrum, you can actually look into the songs and it's a transferable skill from song to song, which increases the enjoyment of all of the music because then you're able to reach into songs that I haven't done and go, holy shit, that guitar is amazing. I never even thought about what the hi-hat was doing on that song or blah, 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 blah. So it's really been, you know, it's incredibly rewarding as somebody who cares about music so much to have people's experience of the art changed by me simply fucking whacking off for a couple of hours. Yeah. Hey, we all, well, we I love, all, I we all love, love that whacking it gives off. a lot of shine, <laughs> a shine to some players too that are, or overlooked like uh when you broke down rio uh i'm a i've always been a huge uh john taylor fan team. player he's so underrated it's it's criminal and uh when you when you hear him by himself it, 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 it gives some deserved shine to some of these players you know yeah i think the the you know the sort of the the patron saint of the session is lemmy and the patient the patron instrument of the session is the bass player because to me the bass player is always he is the most important member of the band both psychologically and instrumentally because that bass line can do things that none of the others can it can be it it, it has the ability to hold everything like i think the most underappreciated bass player in all the music is murray skibb from the Bee Gees. Wow. Because yeah, most yeah. people don't even most people don't even realize that that fucking dude played bass on. They think it's just a three piece vocal group and don't really understand until you watch the documentary and then hopefully experience what I do. That's it's like the same band through all those records. You know, the only people that change are like Blue Weaver plays on keys, you know, after what's his name fucks off to go and play with Yes or after Blue goes to play with Yes. So there's but fundamentally the rhythm section is the same. The guitar players are the same. And Maurice Gibb plays bass on all of those records and his bass lines are so tangential. They're so not what any other bass player would have put in there. So the bass player to me is, is the, the most misunderstood and most overlooked member of every band. And I think that, you know, we even like, we have a, you know, there's a, a bunch of joke awards that we've made with the session as the, you know, I've done over almost a thousand songs on Instagram at this point. And we, so Peanut from 311, showed up so we created the there's a there's a a, a, a a fishing shop called or a lifestyle shop called outdoor lifestyle shop called bass pro so we created the peanut bass pro pro bass award which is an award that goes to a bass player of uh, inestimable merit which is usually all of them um because they're my they're incredible i mean like when you when you you can you hear the lineage from james jameson through on up to today it's a it's a cool it's a cool instrument played by cool people usually. My joke is always that the bass player is the guy who you'd let go to fucking you know Six Flags with your girlfriend and you'd probably pay for the trip and give him your car. <laughs> That's <what laughs> you know. Shout out, time. shout out to Dave, our bass player from uh, from, go, my, from my band. <laughs> but uh, yeah, what a great documentary that was too. Like I I was kind of like. Like I'm a 43 year old guy, and like the, the Bee Gees were kind of like a background thing to me. Like I was, I was kind of young, and like my parents kind of liked it. But watching that documentary like blew me away. You know, just everything about it. Like uh, then you see like how deep the catalog is, and like where they started from, and uh, just just the goddamn just just no one could do a falsetto like that. Maybe Josh Homme now, but that's about it. Like you know, like they they got the falsetto game on lock. I think. Yeah. It it's i think the, you know the, the the most beautiful and poignant moment is the end when barry says he'd give it all up just to have his brothers back yeah yeah and you realize that there's you know this this it's why they're one of my favorite bands to do you know and i always start by playing massachusetts which is you know from the folk era yep and you realize that they were always doing that you know, they invented this whole new thing, but it's always based on this, you know, under this rich understanding of the history of music and this sort of Appalachian country thing that they just turned into fucking disco. And then Barry discovers in one song that he can go, ah, and then it's fucking, pfft, the rest is history. Game but over. 
they're so maligned and so they're another one that's like misunderstood you know that's uh, incredible craft that goes into all of those records so one of my missions was to kind of show people that the bgs are an extraordinary musical force we um like we're we're super music fans that's what it is like we've played in bands we like that like music is everything like uh, we'll make a playlist to, to walk to the bathroom um i know that that you uh started with in college radio at, at purchase um i mean like where the hell did the, the the love of music start from because it's so strong with you from you know probably back then to now uh, it goes back further. I, you know, my 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 joke is that I think my dad worked out that one of the ways to shut me the fuck up was to have me sit with headphones on and just listen to music. And you know, my the first the the first three records that I can remember rearranging my DNA were Tubular Bells from Mike Oldfield, Phil Collins Face Value, um, and orchestral maneuvers in the dark architecture morality which is slightly later but you know those those two records came into my life i was born in 69 so my dad sat me down when i was you know nine years old and there was you know my my dad is the music guy it's it's ironic my mom is the artist of the family but she doesn't have any interest in music whatsoever she's had the same fucking six cds her entire life um, but my dad is a is a massive consumer of music. Still is to this day. day like he texts me constantly. He's like, "Is this record any good?" Um, and it's always like he was a big Soundgarden fan. Ah, oh, that's awesome. You know, he loves. He just texted me about the new John Mayer record. He's like, "Should I yeah. bother picking this up?" Um, I love that cover. And, uh, that cover yeah. Mayer put out. It's so brilliant. Yeah, his his eighties addiction. Um, so you know, my dad was really the music fan, and his library was extensive and varied so there was always music in my house and pretty much from the moment you know i I think pretty much from the moment that i experienced the understanding that music wasn't just something that you listened to everything was changed and that was probably eight years old at that point and then i started playing drums when i was probably i think 11 maybe probably 11 when I went to because English high school six years long so it was like probably 12 then uh when I discovered playing drums but I think that honestly it all it all is rooted in in Asperger's I think it's all rooted in the complexity of the math of music also doing this incredible magic trick where it it attaches emotion to mathematics and I think that it allowed my brain to bridge the gap between two things that I couldn't really comprehend as a, as a child. But then as I got older, I started to understand the interrelation of the two and being like, oh, this is all of this thing is frequencies are math. Music is math. Chord progressions are math. It's all ones and zeros. But at the end of the day, it, it elicits an emotional response in you. And that relationship, you know, I remember crying to records when I was a child because they affected you so deeply, you know? And I think that 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 really became the founding principle of what I'm doing now is that that the idea of deep listening has been lost because we walk through fucking shopping malls and there's music playing. We walk through an outdoor shopping mall and there's a fucking rock designed to look like a speaker that's just tossing some fucking chord progression at us. And we've really lost the, the connection to the deep listen. Uh, And it's very encouraging for me now to see so many, like a fucking year ago, all the streamers were telling me that like music programming doesn't sell. And then every fucking week, there's a new amazing music documentary coming up. So I think that there is, you know, I think that there's, there's a shift because they're also realizing that not to malign the new music because I'm not one of those get off my lawn guys, but I do. Same here. I do think that there's great music being written, but there's not great catalog being created. And that's the difference is now we look back on the Bee Gees and we look back on even, you know, the newest shit of the 90s where the Smashing Pumpkins has five amazing fucking records. U2 has 25 amazing, well, probably eight to nine amazing records and then a few that aren't that great. But then Coldplay, like all these bands, but this 70s, 80s era is so rich and we'll never see that again. And I think people are are sort of like hungry to reconnect with music. And what's interesting is that they've done this study and they found out that because of the way the playlists work, 
newer generations don't actually experience music as old people's music because it used to be like you'd be in the car and your dad would be listening to fucking zeppelin and then you'd get home and then you'd be listening to fucking duran duran and you'd be like oh the old shit is what the old man listens to this new stuff is what i'm into but if you're a fucking kid who's 14 years old and just generating playlists, Duran Duran is right next to Led Zeppelin. Led Zeppelin is right back, right next to Dua Lipa, which is right, you know, like, so this whole idea of, of chronology of music has been lost, which isn't a bad thing, because I think it is what is driving this hunger to reconnect with the with the with with older music, which I think is only to the good, only to the good. I think I think it's also like accessibility too. you know, it's like um, back then you, you bought, you know, you bought two albums because that's all you could afford and that's what you were going to fucking like stay on now it's like you know you get a spotify subscription and you could listen to like a hundred different things but you'll listen to like one song from each thing so i i mean i guess from there it's just harder to to maybe have this affinity towards uh discography for you know like whoever you know um but i i mean listen they, i love they I just love have that. access to everything at like the tip of a fingertip you know to pull up on a youtube or whatever and like i and like some younger relatives of mine they like so many varied styles of music yeah, when, I was a, and when i was a kid i was like in the metal and i right. didn't listen to punk there was punks wouldn't talk to metal like it's insane now to think of it right. it's like we're all outsiders guys yeah the exactly but but the you know the democratization from the playlist is you know like we lost a bunch of things right when cds were created we bemoaned the loss of the 12 inch format for artwork. Yeah. And then the playlist was created and then we bemoaned the liner notes, you know? So every, every revelation, every, every revolution has a revelation and every revolution has loss attached to it, but there's gain on the other side. And the gain of it is that, you know, there's, um, you know, like I was talking to some guy the other day and one of my friends was in the music industry and was like, oh man, I'm just sort of bummed that like, guitar has disappeared. And I'm like, well, the pendulum has just swung all the way to the other side. Like right now, there's probably some kid in the basement in Ohio who just discovered the Ramones. And that kid is going to grow into a fucking and do a whole fucking thing He's because gonna... that's, that's how it works. That's how it's always worked. I, you know, uh, like, Oh no, no. Yeah. I was just, it's funny that you mentioned the guitar thing. Uh, I, my, I, my nieces like one's 10 and and the other one is like no 15 and 10 and i they live down south and they came up to visit and i had an extra acoustic guitar and i was like you know what i think they're finally old enough where i could offer it to them (laughs) and they come up and i tell my sister i'm like yeah just you know whichever one of these two wants it you know they'll probably fight for it and they both texted me and they're like nah they're like we're not going to use it and i was just like wait a minute i'm like but it's yeah. a guitar you know and it's so funny that you say that so but yeah well somebody will you know i mean there's a there's there's a kid bashing with fucking dave pots and pans oh no saucepans no but the the, the 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 everlong video that just popped up with dave Grohl, like that that with that the young girl how yeah, cool yeah. was that yeah yeah it's 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 that's what i mean i think that the i have higher hopes it's just that as with everything, the pendulum swings to the, the highest you know, point of shitstem before it resets back to the middle and somebody somebody be like, you know what? Like, I don't want to record on Ableton anymore. I want to do it on tape. And it's like, what the fuck? You know, but it's just these things, these technological advances take over before sense kicks back in again. The, um, the, the band uh, Turnstile, which is like a newer hardcore band or not not new, but in like the last few years, they just released an album la- uh, yesterday, which is amazing. Very Jane's Addiction, but like with these hardcore like elements and and uh, they released a, um, a VHS looking thing of it, you know, because they want to go back to that era. So it, it is true what you were talking about. Yeah, the most indie thing I've seen is there's a guy named uh, Fritz Sender in L.A., who released his al- one of his albums on uh, an N- a Nintendo cartridge? You got to blow on it. That's about <laughs> as fucking. That's about as indie as you can get. I was like, wow, you've really you've pushed the fucking form, my friend. Like, you have to buy a Nintendo machine to be able to listen to your album. Like, there's gonna be six people that do that, but they'll it's well worth it. Sometimes so I, I, you know. I, Sometimes I feel about cassettes, you know, like when 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 bands still want to make cassettes, I'm just like, uh, like, I don't know, maybe, maybe not. It's, cool. it's the worst fucking format ever next to the eight track. Really? It is brutal. 
But, you know, it's like it's like you know, it's like hearkening back to the days of the Edison reel. It looks nice. It looks cool, and like looks you know, the, the documentary that you did with uh, you know, uh, you know that you were in with, with Rob, like I, a lot of that stuff was broken down too, right? When you were like writing, <laughs> I totally forgot about actually like having shitty handwriting, like I did to like write down all the tracks, you know, like maybe like dressing up the cassette and everything, and also the the time. Where you're like, oh, I got to calculate how much time I have because oh, yeah. you don't want the last song to get cut off, you know? Yeah, I had uh, I had a, an arsenal of like 20 songs that were all under a minute and a half or two minutes, like a bunch of Who's Could Do stuff from Land Speed Record. Hell it was yeah. like stuff that you could use that would just that would just fill that last bit. And then I got sort of later on in my mixtape development, once I got a, a cassette that had a, an input where you could turn it down. Then I would just do instrumentals at the end for like the last. And then you have to peer into the window of the machine to see when the leader was starting to get closer and closer to this completely missed art form of the, the creation. But I love that documentary. I think Rob did an amazing job. And I was just, but you know, it's like, it's a pretty cool moment when you're in a documentary and like smash cuts from you to Henry Rollins. And yes. you're just like, oh, so that happened. I'll take that. That's pretty good. <laughs> No, Henry's no joke for sure. And and I I um I, I texted Rob too. I was like, you got rude Jude on your documentary? Like, how'd you do yeah, that? Yeah, good old Jude. Yeah. <laughs> Jude's a fucking character. Yeah. Um it, it's you, far- no, you, I'm sorry. No, no, go ahead. Okay. Now you mentioned uh you you came up playing instruments and stuff like that, and obviously your love for music and sharing music. Like, when did you decide um you wanted to get into like a radio kind of thing because you've done every you've done serious you've done terrestrial these live shows you know when did uh, radio happen? was actually my first love mm-hmm. uh when i was my parents used to tell me that i was like four years old i would duck down behind the couch and tell them the weather for the day um and there was <laughs> the you know being in england in 1977 to 1983 there was some you know, true rock star DJs. Like, you know, America's got a couple of them that are really great. Obviously, Jim Ladd did his thing, was pretty fucking badass. But as far as, like, the most creative, you know, Stern, but as far as the most creative music DJs I'd ever heard, you know, the the, the stuff that was happening on the UK radio at that time was really mind-blowing, and I was completely addicted to it. There was... BBC is obviously, you know, tax-funded state radio and tv uh but not in the korea north korean way but in the creative sort of like encouraging people way um and so every year the bbc would put out like a radio diary and in the diary was all the dj's birthdays so i would know all of the dj's birthdays i would know all of the stories about these guys and i just had a huge love for radio like it's a very it's like being a having a a massive passion for being a blacksmith like it's such an archaic fucking art form but i i loved it and when i made mixtapes back in the day i had one that had a mic on so i would do like stuff in between occasionally just to bridge the gaps and would interview bands and then use pieces of their songs as the answer to the questions and shit like that i wish i still had those tapes it would be horribly embarrassing um (laughs) But I did that. And then I thought, you know, when I came over, I'll, you know, to be honest with you, like I, li- I left, there was a guy in the air in England called Kenny Everett, who is like the Miles Davis of radio. He's like truly, truly an epic, epic person, character, story. And uh, he was the one where the uh, Queen brought him Bohemian Rhapsody before it had been released and said, yeah. you can't play this in its entirety. So he just played pieces of it for like 18 hours over and the, the fucking phones went crazy. Um, so he, he was one, he was probably the guy that I would want to emulate more than any other. And then honestly, I came to America in 1983 and I was completely just let down by what I heard. It was horrible. Very the different. only thing, yeah, the only thing that was even remotely interesting was when yeah, Howard right. Stern, yeah, we didn't get DRE because the problem with uh, poor Jeff is that it's true. at the bottom of a You're bowl. right. You're right. We didn't. Right. So we yeah. couldn't get it because FM is line of sight of the antenna. So I actually was experiencing, which was kind of cool. I had PLR, I believe was the name of it, or PLJ. I forget which one it was. So it's in Connecticut and it broadcast across the sound. So I was getting all of that. But on Sunday nights, they did a thing called Rock Over London, which was like an hour long magazine show that played a bunch of new stuff. 
and then the sort of like the top 10 songs. And there was so much, you know, it's like the Echo and the Bunnymen era and the Smiths and you, you, you name it. Anyway, so that was how I got that version of the music. And then a lot of American stuff, which I also have a huge passion for. But when I came over here, the only thing I could really listen to that was mildly stomachable was, was when Stern was on with Don, Don Imus, which was... Yeah. I like like those two hated each other yeah. so it was very interesting radio but i was completely disappointed in american radio and then when i went to college uh we took over my college radio station myself and two of our friends and that was what i thought was going to be my radio career and then i left there and I, I immediately got hired in my senior year i got hired to go on the road with a, uh, a group called pm dawn hell yeah and then through them Stayed on the road, worked at a record label, went on the road with the Gravediggers and did a bunch of touring with those guys and, you know, like Peter Gabriel and all these fucking huge acts and left that because I didn't want to be on the road for the rest of my life. I'm a homebody. Uh, I like the security of home. Um, and it's also an incredibly addicting lifestyle. The money's crazy and the travel is fucking bananas and you're kind of a rock star in your own right. So uh, I started working at a club called Seven Willow Street and uh, sort of managing that. And then through that, met the kids that threw the t-shirts out at the local radio station. Oh, yeah. And I was like, oh, that's a fucking cool gig. And that'll get me into radio. And then one day they fired a guy and the dude they offered the job to turned it down. And I immediately went to the production room and I was like, I need to make a fucking demo. And I made a demo and like an hour and a half later I was hired. And then that was the beginning of my radio career from New York to LA and then all the stuff that I've done in LA since. Amazing. Yeah, that's amazing. Nope. I mean, I, amazing for, for us. Like, I mean, we we grew like the PM Dawn records. Great. I mean, we we all love that, you know, the singles on there. But Grave Diggers for us, like, you know, when, when you uh, said yeah. that on, on Tom's show, we're like, I'm like, this dude is from Port Jeff and he's talking about the Grave Diggers. I was like, what's yeah. going on here? I'm like, who, who the fuck is this guy? <laughs> I got to know that more was, about him. It was a very. uh that was a that was a relentless 18 months, man, you know, because that first record basically happens and then the RZA fucks off to go and do the Wu-Tang Clan. And then, you know, fortunately, that that organization fell to pieces and then Poetic passed away. Um, but that 18 months was just ludicrous. dude. I mean, like the the, the stories. The stories that that band provide being on the road with B uh, and I was close friends with him and I love that guy. Um, and the stories that I got out of touring with him were just beautiful. But the stories that I got out of being on the road with the fucking grave diggers is like, the, you know, my joke is that I was the token white guy. Like they had to put me on the road just to satisfy some sort of like reverse NAACP thing. We're like, all right, we got to have one white guy. Just grab that dude. What's he doing? And I was like, not much. What do you need me to do? And they're like, carry a bunch of shit. And I was like, all right. And then they're like, and now get on stage and fill in for the RZA because he's fucked off. And that was like, uh the most insane shit was like standing on stage in front of like 20,000 fucking people, like doing the RZA's parts on fucking Gravedigger's songs and just looking at Prince Paul is like pissing himself behind the turntables and like poetic and Fu Quan. I'm just looking at him like, what am I doing here? And they're like, yeah, we just do it. Just, just do it. Just, and then get off. It's fucking amazing. So yeah, I was very, I'm very grateful for the, for the Gravedigger's experience. It was truly, it was extraordinary. And you you toured with Gangstar on their greatest album, probably too. It was probably hard to earn, I think. Yeah, we did. There was a tour we did in Europe, which was us, which was the Gravediggers, Gangstar, J. Rude the Damager, Public oh, Enemy, man. and nice. Ice Cube. And it was Woo. just fucking relentless. Yeah, there was one. One of my favorites was we. It was one afternoon because, you know, I mean, sound checks are fucking bullshit and yeah, yeah, hip hop. So like yeah. two turn, literally two turn turbos and a microphone or maybe three microphones. So we would do sound check. Everyone would bang through those real quick. And then you just fucking <laughs> dicking around. And we were playing this. A lot of the places we played were big arenas in Europe. And we did this. We did this one arena. And we ended up in the, 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 the green rooms were all there wasn't one. There wasn't separate green rooms. It was like one big green room because it was like some sports arena thing. So it was one big green room. And we ended up all being down there. It's one of the only times I remember everyone from each group being in the same room because everyone pretty much fucked off to their own tour buses. And I don't know why we were all in this room. But anyway, we end up in this big room and I'm sitting there and it's like me. Chuck D, Flavor Flav, Ice Cube, Mac 10 you know, Prince Paul, Fruquam, Poetic, Gangstar with Premier and Guru, 
and then like four other J Ru and two of his fucking dudes. And J Ru was obviously my age. So these guys were, you know, the, uh, the elders of the, of the, the tribe sat and just fucking told the most ridiculous stories for like four hours. And it was like, this is, I'm like, if I had, if this was a podcast, it would have been an, the bit um, like the most the most listened to hip hop podcast in history, because it was like everyone just telling relentless tale after tale after tale. I'm like sitting and I'm like, am I actually like listening to Chuck D and Ice Cube and Prince Paul tell and then, and then you know, just and then gangs like Guru telling stories about like basically their band in the vet mandates you know then i was just like this is fucking insane that i'm getting to have this as a fucking hip-hop fan since early mid high school from long island to be in this room in europe listening to these dudes telling these tales it's just like whatever great force is guiding everything i couldn't be more grateful for this opportunity and then chuck d uh uh, pawned Flavor Flav off on me and fucked off and left me with Flavor for like five hours. I was pretty sure I was going to end up in fucking jail. Me That's and fucking fun. me, I was wearing like this amazing public enemy hockey jersey because I was doing like, this was my hockey jersey period. I was standing there with my hockey jersey and like Chuck D walks over with Flav and he's like, yeah, man, where'd you get that fucking hockey jersey from? It's like, I've never, it was like a completely unsanctioned bootleg fucking jersey, but it was really dope. It was like stitched in the whole thing. I was like, yeah, man, I bought it fucking, you know, years ago at a thing. He was like, oh, man, that shit's fucking. And then we we talked about it. And then I turned. And when I fucking looked back, Chuck D had like Irish exited and on purpose and was like, I'm leaving him with this motherfucker for as yeah. long as it takes. And I just looked at Flav and Flav's like, yeah, man, what are we doing? And I was like, oh, my God, I'm going to go to jail. I'm yeah. never I'm like, this is pre cell phone. I got no way to notify anybody that if my body goes missing, it's all flavor Flav's fucking fault. The, get him the get, Flav Wrangler. Yeah, uh, again. probably the least desirable position in the crew. It was a lot of fun, but it was four <laughs> hours that I don't ever need to relive. But he's get, fun. he was he was outrageous. Get him, get him to the Greek type shit right there. Exactly. You know, but yeah, and it's funny that we're talking about like um, you know, now with like YouTube or podcasts, so we we can pay, you know, uh, tribute to these things because uh, DJ Premier, who is probably the greatest hip hop producer of all time, in my opinion is now doing the So What's Up series on YouTube and he's like taking out his floppy disks and he's kind of doing what, you know, like, I, you know, he's just kind of breaking down how he made the beat and stuff. And it's just, yeah, it's, it's awesome. Fun. Right. It's amazing. And the first one, of course, was Jay Ruse Come Clean, which to me might be the greatest hip hop beat of all time. I don't know. It's in the running. You know, it's yeah. definitely up there. I mean, like it was, you know, like being on Instagram and doing my thing and having like, Primo come into the chat and then fucking DJ Clark Kent show up and all these dudes. And it's really, it's, it's a, it's a very cool experience to be, you know, allowed to in quotes, like give back, you know? And uh, I was, I'm I, the only thing that bums me out about that entire Gangstar fucking experience was that I didn't discover Gangstar for some reason until after that tour. And it really bums me out because full clip, is just a fucking you know my steez like yeah. all that stuff and i just wish that i'd been more aware of how fucking sick they were though i will say that like guru was a sweetheart but he's next to fru Quam. i think he's the most intimidating person that i'd ever met in hip-hop up until like probably till 50 cent which was you know 50 cent was 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 gnarly i wish i'd had more knowledge of how much i was going to be a huge fan of of Guru and Primo because they were just dude, that's Gangstar is like one of my favorites for sure. But yeah, I mean, it's, it's amazing. Like hearing these stories, you know, uh, just the, the life lived and then, and then where you ended up with, with uh, the sessions. And I think the sessions kind of started out in like 2015, if I'm not mistaken, uh, my friend Adam one day, like I looked, he, he, he hit me to you like four years ago, shout out to Adam Harris. And he's like, yo, this dude, who works at it, serious. I think he said like does this breakdown and it, it was a show in the city. And the way he told it to me was via messenger. And I'm looking and I'm like, I'm live, you know, I'm on long Island. I'm like, I don't want to rush to work from work to there. 
And like I, I left it alone. I never thought of it again until like I listened to all those episodes. I was like, holy shit, this is the show that he wanted me to go to. Might have been like somewhere in Manhattan and stuff. So 2015. Yeah, was my that- buddy. Uh, no, I saw the good old Adam Harris. Love me some Adam. He uh, so I was I was doing it on Sirius. And I started on in like 2013, but I was just doing vocals. Okay. Uh, the guy that I was on the air with didn't really have the attention span to, I tried a full song with him and he was like, yeah, man, just go back to doing vocals. He didn't really have the attention span. Uh, and then when I left there, I started doing it in 2014 on, um, on the sound and then left there after, excuse me, after two years and then I've been doing it on KLOS. So, I, so the, the live show started in like 2015. Okay. And basically I, I was doing it in LA and then I met a friend of mine who's a, um, Alex uh, Roy, who is the one of the dudes that broke the original Cannonball record across the country in the Ridiculous Cars. Watch the movie Apex. It's a great, great documentary about the Cannonball run. And uh, my buddy Alex breaking it in a BMW five series sedan going across the country it's fucking epic epic uh documentary available on all streaming platforms i believe anyway so he had a he'd converted his um loft in uh down by astor place into a high-end audio shop and was like oh man if you want to do your show in new york you can take my fucking spot for free so i could get like 40 people into this stereo shop and that was where Adam came down for the first okay. time. Oh, that's awesome. Um, and it was fucking, you know, you could listen to these stems through like a half a million dollar Macintosh rig, which was pretty fucking badass. Um, so that was because the thing with the, with my show is that because it's really, because I can't put up a podcast and I can't simply go ahead and just do it everywhere. When I move into a new city, I have to do what I call break it open, which is that I, I basically have to do probably three months of going there every weekend and doing 20 to 30 people to the point where I could get 200 people. If I could get 700 people on an email list, then I knew I could sell 200 tickets to a show. So I did it in San Francisco and started in my friend's living room and then ended up finding a 200 person venue in San Fran. Then I went to New York. And those guys had moved out of that shop into a five-story brownstone. And the bottom story was a uh, was a club with a liquor license. And I could get like 300 people in there. So we had just booked my first show when COVID hit. And I had to cancel it, which was a real fucking bummer, uh, obviously, for a number of reasons. Uh, and then also I was doing it in Chicago at a, at a converted church where I could get about 70 people in there. So one of the great things about one of the advantages that that happened with COVID was getting on Instagram and being able to actually generate a, a much more substantial fan base that would yeah. have taken me years yeah. to, to even like, not even come close. Like, I don't know how I would have, you know, been able to expose. So now, you know, and Tom was obviously has been so generous um, and was a huge bump with the Segura fans. And like now oh, he yeah. and I are doing it with, we're going to do it together in Austin, which is going to be fucking amazing. The moon tower. Going to go to moon tower. Going to do a <laughs> tribe cold quest scenario and call oh. me maybe by Carly Rae Jepsen, which is going to be fucking amazing. Very so, cool. and then hopefully that will lead to he and I doing more of them, which would be great. Um, so that, you know, this experience has really allowed me to, garner a, a much greater attention that I would have been able to do had I not had COVID. So, you know, I'm, much as I'm saddened by all of it, it was nice to be, you know, nice to be able to look at it and go, well, this came out of it, you know, that I've, uh, I've got fans all over the world now, which is bananas. And because there's no archive, it's like people getting up at like three in the morning in Dubai <laughs> <laughs> to you know fucking listen to it and taiwan and like it's nice when i go on and then people check in from where it's like new zealand and fucking iceland and it's a, it's incredible i mean it really is mind-blowing to me M- music how do you accrue music- all these i'm sorry uh, how do you accrue all, like all these stems all over the years and and with the popularity of the show and stuff there are guys are, are you getting them sent to you like voluntarily like dissect our stuff but uh uh, some of so most of it is what happened was there was a uh, this, it was twofold. So the way that it works with the recorded with the tapes is that over time, 
the the lacquers of the tape of the reel to reel start to break apart because the glue breaks down. So what they would have to do is like once every year or so, they have to put, they have to have rotating, put the tapes into these huge ovens and bake them to get the, the, the layers to re-adhesive, whatever that adhesion. Um, and then over time that starts to fail because the tape starts to just break down. They're not designed to last for fucking 50 years. If it's something that was recorded in 1960 or 1950 or 1940. So once Pro Tools was invented, they realized that what they could do is run the tapes off into Pro Tools. Well, the record, the, all the record labels don't own their own studios pretty much anymore. So they would have to fucking sub it out to companies and to other studios. And then because they weren't thinking, because they never do, they would just send reels to a studio and some fucking engineer who's like 20 years old or 25 or however would be sitting there watching Led Zeppelin come off of a reel to reel and go into a Pro Tools session and then just look at the Pro Tools session and be like, I, I just have to bring a hard drive. And then they would just literally drag the sessions off of the fucking computer that was going to be the laptop or the files that were going to be sent to the label. They would just make a dupe of it. There's, no, there's a body, there's a, a guard at the door who's like, do you have the fucking masters on you? It's fucking, you know, it's Sheila behind the front desk. You're like, Night, and you've got a fucking, you know, a hard drive in your pocket that's got <laughs> some of the most valuable intellectual property. So probably about, Man, it must be like probably 15 years ago when I was working, you know, I was I was producing a lot of indie bands in L.A. And, you you know, the one thing I wouldn't do in my apartment is well, you can't do in your apartment is get a decent drum sound. Like drums are the hardest thing until I discovered Steve Slate, which is what Rob's record is all Steve Slate. Like there's no real drums on any of it. So and as a drummer, it's way easier to make things that aren't real sound real because I know what they sound like. So. I would go to studios to track the drums and then you'd be sitting there and the engineer would generally be somebody you knew. And they'd be like, Oh man, I got like fucking two Fleetwood Mac and a fucking who, what do you got? And you'd be like, Oh bro, I got like three Stevie wonder and uh, you know, fucking Jimmy world and you'd trade them. So gradually I built this huge library up of, of those. And then some people sent me some stuff. I had like one guy hit me up on Facebook messenger. It was like my favorite one of them. This dude hit me up on Facebook messenger and was like, Hey, are you the guy that does that thing on the radio? And I was like, yeah. And he goes, well, I got something that you could that I think you're going to really enjoy. He's like, meet me at the Starbucks at the 405 in Wilshire on Friday at like two o'clock. And I was like, am I going to end up in the trunk of a fucking Lincoln town car with like six Sony executives, like beating me with rubber hoses to tell me where I got the fucking files from. So I'm like, okay. So I met this dude and we chill out and it's like him and his wife are huge fans. They've been to some of the live shows and he just sort of slides this USB stick across the table while we're drinking our fucking, you know, grandes. And he's like, he's like, there you go. And I was like, what's on it? And he's like, I'm not going to tell you. And I was like, okay. So then I get home and I open it. And it's like 15 Michael Jackson songs. And it's like, it's the literal safety dumps right off the tape, right into Pro Tools. So there's no effects. There's no delays or reverbs, compressions. It's as recorded. Oh, wow. Which has been, and then, you know, I've like now I've become through doing it. There are a couple of, of NG, uh, big producers like Evil Joe, who've, who've been in, and Garth, who have been like incredibly generous with connecting me up with other people who are like, yeah, dude, I want you to, you know, like the, the funny thing is, is like none of the makers of the music are in any way, shape or form angered or insulted or confused by what I'm doing. And they're all really generous, you know, and then you get incredible, like bizarre experiences where the other day I sent Jimmy Jam all of the Janet Jackson stuff I have because he doesn't have it. And I'm like, this is fucking happening. Like I'm sending <laughs> you the, like, OK, here's control. And, here, you know, because he has the fucking tapes, but he doesn't have them rolled off onto Pro Tools files. Yeah. And it's expensive to do that. you got to. Yeah, absolutely. End. You got to set up the, you know, it's like, a, it's a lot of work that goes into it. So being able to like send him and there's a couple other people who've worked on like Greg Fillingains, I sent him a bunch of stuff so that he could have his own performances to play to his kids of the stuff that he played. You know, my argument is like, I should absolutely not have any of this stuff, but if it's available to the general public, if you know where to look, then the people who made it should fucking own it. 
It shouldn't yeah. be me and six Dutch DJs, you know, like it's fucking ridiculous, man. So you're like a caretaker for music history. Yeah, it's, that's it's it. kind of beautiful. Yeah. Well, I mean, thank you. And and if you look at, you know, how disrespectful the caretakers were of the of the IP, I mean, I don't know if, if you guys are aware, but there was a fire. Yep, yeah, yep, yeah, yep. Yeah. Uh, and we lost right? like we lost like a hundred thousand recordings of some of the, you know, and then the fucking crazy thing is that these people put the fucking safety on top of the original so they didn't even like take the safety copy and fly that to somewhere else and then they put it in a warehouse that doesn't have fire suppression that isn't fucking climate controlled and you know it's like film and tape like that's the most explosively flammable shit on the planet the only thing more flammable than it is fire you know and you're like wow you guys like didn't like what the so to me guys like me and they're dudes who have way more substantial libraries than i have we have become like the the keepers of the fucking torch like we are we care for them more than the people who not the people who made them but the people who said that they were going to take care of them listen anybody who sleeps anybody who sleeps with a uh, pillow made out of a cassette like that's who should have them right there care, sure. care deeply they're in good hands um i, I was gonna is, was, is there like a uh oh, i'm sorry Sam, but uh is it is there like a like a holy grail or ark of the covenant stems that you like would love to get your hands on haven't been able yeah. to like been... uh, africa by toto is oh, my wow. that's my way that's my great white whale and i'm like <laughs> right now i'm like i'm like one step away like david page is very very close to to hooking me up hopefully uh i, I almost had uh steve lukather almost did and then it went fucking sideways with him got that got very strange um but uh my friend of mine is uh works with with uh mr page and we've talked about me actually going to his studio and doing africa with him from his studio on instagram which is fucking awesome and then obviously anything from phil from anything off of hello i must be going would be my fucking that's it. I, uh, I I wanted to mention four things, uh, you know, four specific songs that you did on KL, KLOS that people can listen to if they if they uh, just Google it. Um, I really enjoyed uh, Blues Traveler Hook. I thought that was a cool breakdown because I never really even realized. Nobody does. Nobody but, realizes how uh, dense those lyrics are. Right. Nobody right. Fucking clue. <laughs> It's so brilliant. It's so brilliant. Yeah. And like, and it, I didn't I believe. So here's the thing. I didn't, I didn't, that one is not me. My buddy, Matt Farah, who's the smoking tires, like, you know, one of the biggest automotive podcasts, he's really generous with his time. We'll become really good friends. And one day he was like, yeah, man, did you ever, did you have hook? And I was like, yeah. And he was like, dude, you have you listened to the, and I was like, no. And he's like, bro. So then I did it. And then on that, on that show on the radio i like publicly apologized to john popper and blues traveler for never fucking getting it and then john popper's ex-wife follows me she sent it to him and then he sent a message back to her and was like if you ever talk to that guy again let him know all is forgiven which is like one of those fucking moments when you're like how the fuck did that just happen but yeah no that the hook is like is extraordinary it's extraordinary and 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 it has a gigantic hook. Like I'm a I'm a big melody guy. I'm a big like I love hooks. So that that's a great one. Uh, John Parr, Man in Motion, man, Sick. one of the greatest like soundtrack songs ever. Saint Elmo's Fire. Uh, that's a great one. Uh, then you did. I got two more. Uh, Aerosmith, Sweet Emotion. I mean, like, come on, that gnarly. That intro is just like yep. woo. And one that's near and dear to my heart because um, very influential to my band, which is Face to Face, Disconnected. Thoughts. The uh, Matt Riddle, who's the bass player on that, actually reached out to him. Was like, that was so fucking cool because a most of these guys have never heard their own songs in those forms or in that form, and b you know like it's it, it it's it. I can only imagine being in a band and having forgotten about especially when it's something like that or like even so i did ario speedwagon's roll with the changes which is one of my favorites and i did it on klos and it's a mind blower it's an absolute fucking masterpiece of a song and and kevin the lead singer actually started following me on instagram and then i sent him a message and then he just hearted my message and i just imagine like 
what a fucking crazy mixed bag of emotions it must be to like get in the car and like you know just be driving somewhere in LA and you turn on the radio and then that happens to one of your pieces of art mm-hmm. and just like the incredible it's like one it's like when I worked with S, I did one with STP that was like absolutely like a truly truly profound experience which I've I've told the story a million times and it was abs- it was it was one of the moments when I realized that what I was doing was so far beyond the appreciation of the music, especially for the people that made it. And I wished that I could have plugged a cable into the heads of each of the dudes in the band so that we could have seen what they were thinking, thinking. Yeah. as they were listening, because basically we did the whole session and then we, we did scott wyland's vocal and all three of them like dropped their heads and just we were all on headphones because it was for a radio program and then at the end of it dean who was the guitar player who was very the closest to scott and had actually lived with him was very emotional and and neater moment and when when he returned he was like you should know that like we'd never been allowed to hear scott sing acapella till today that was 25 yeah. years after core because it was for the 25th anniversary re-release of the record and he was so insecure about his voice that they would all get kicked out of the studio and then when they would be invited back brendan o'brien the way he works is he kind of mixes as he goes so what they would hear was a finished song and they all hugged me at the end and were like this was a cathartic experience for this band and i thought that you know i was like oh it's really nice of them to say and then i recently did something with kevin from candlebox and he had spoken to rob like three days before and had been like yeah i'm doing this thing with that dude and rob was like bro we did he was like and our band experienced catharsis that day with that guy ah and i i you know walked away from it really blindsided by what I realized you could do, like I did it with at Nam. I do it at, back before in the in the before days when we had lives. I did uh, <laughs> I did I did a series of them in, at Nam, which is the National Association yep. of Music Merchandisers. It's like the world's biggest guitar center. It's a fucking nightmare. But I did <laughs> I did it for JBL at their booth with a bunch of people. Garth and I did Rage, which was amazing, and Evil Joe and I did Avenged Sevenfold, and Bob Margaleff and I did Stevie Wonder, and, and then I did uh, What's Up with linda perry and linda perry is a very guarded very defended woman because she's a woman in the music industry and she's a woman who she's also lesbian and you know imagine the struggles and then when you find out the story of that record and that song specifically it's nothing but struggle for her to prove a point and we were sitting there at the end of it she put her hand on my arm and she looked at me and she was like i want to thank you for today because until right now I've actually never allowed myself to look back on my career. I've never allowed myself to, to take a moment because I'm always moving forward. I'm always striving to write the next hit. I'm, I just did beautiful. So I got to be bigger than beautiful. The next thing's got to be, and you're constantly in that thing and you never give yourself the moment. She's like, and now I could sit here and look at that 19 year old girl and say, this is going to be a fucking awful struggle. You're going to fight for every inch, but at the end of the day, you are going to be right about everything and then she gave me this huge hug and, and you and you you sit there and, and I, I just like realized that the 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 profound experience that the makers of this music get to have as somebody who loves this stuff so much and cares so deeply for it i don't think that there's a greater compliment that you can be paid than to have somebody who's made the music that you're sitting and doing it with have an experience where they get to make peace with things, fall in love with things, find things out about themselves in the song. Like I did it with Robbie Krieger and he could had completely forgotten a guitar line from one of the songs that he then learned in front of everybody at NAMM because he was like, yep, totally forgot about that since 1964, like whatever the fuck it was. And you're just like, what the fuck are we doing here? Yes. Like, what is this experience? Like, it's so beautiful and so meta and so multi-tiered that to be, you know, 
the steward of that for even the briefest of moments is is an extraordinary place to find oneself as a music fan. I mean, it's, truly, it's uh, it's you know, the internet can be a cesspool, and this is something that's oh pure, yeah, this is something that's so pure and pure, yeah. like purely enjoyable, and and I think it it creates nothing but like happiness. You know what I mean? Like it's just like it's like one of those silver linings, like in in a in an internet cesspool. <laughs> <laughs> that you're like, Thank I can't, you, you know, uh, yeah, it's just, it's, it's, it's such a good thing. So, uh, man, it, it, I, I just great stories. Uh, I, I guess we'll wrap up here. Um, I just wanted to, I know that you did the, um, you know, Rob's, uh, documentary. I just, I asked him the same question. Um, if you remember the nineties, which I'm sure you do. And back then, what, what are five songs you would put on a mixtape? From the 1990s? Yeah, like let's say you know mid nineties, whatever. Um, there would have to be Ada Fade In from Adorable would definitely have to be on there. Um, God, let's think. The nineties is a it's a it's an interesting era. Um, I think Adorable's from the nineteen nineties. Let me just look. Hold on, please. A little deep. We'll reach deep into the catalog. Yeah, nice. Respect the accuracy. Uh, 1993 yeah so yeah. that would that would definitely be on there it would pro- probably be um one of the 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 garden song from aqualung from his record with uh, paul buchanan on it would be another one uh card of the unstoppable sex machine um sheriff fat man would have to be on there um billy bragg's tank park salute would have to be on there um oh probably just because i wouldn't want it to be all sad music i'd probably put downtown venus from pm dawn would be on there because i think that's prince's masterpiece i know that that's prince b's masterpiece of a record um got something from blink 182 would have to be on there really yeah yeah for sure i like dude ranch that's a good record Dude Ranch has got some great shit on it. I think if you do, if we get, hold on, like if we do, let me see. I mean, there's so many fucking amazing records. Uh, I mean, the whole 1990s is. It's crazy. No sugar. No sugar in there. Oh, yeah. No, it would have to be something for sure. I mean, like, that's the thing is like people always like, dude, what's your 10 favorite records of all time or your Desert Island disc? I'm like, this question gives me a panic attack. I know, no, no. I just because <laughs> I, I just can't I can't even fucking begin. Like, you know, I'm just looking at my thing. I'm like, oh, see, so you'd have to put something from Ben Folds Five's fucking Reinhold Messner record. You'd have to put I'm like, Jesus Christ, like, I can't even fucking do it. Like, there's it'd be I kind of want be this imp- tape now. Yeah, it would be impossible to, to fucking <laughs> it'd be impossible to pull it off. Like, I mean, there's like so many bands that like people don't even know about from that. Like, they, like you'd have to put from it's yeah. So I just I wanted to tie in the, the this question sucks. I want I wanted to do- tie in the documentary. <laughs> uh, and then that's it, man. Yo, thank you so much for doing what you do, man. Thank I, you. I, I can't wait to one day watch it. If you if I go to L.A. or if you if you come back to I'll you be know. back to New York. We were we were already sort of uh, the guys, I think, managed to hold on to that venue. Uh, and if not, I have a bunch of my friends who are like off Broadway and Broadway production people that are like, dude, we could find a, a venue for you here. Um, uh, but if people do want to actually hear the KLOS archive, the easiest way to do it is go to my website, which is the sessionwebsite.com. And then actually, if you click on it, there's a thing that says radio shows, and that's five years of the radio archive. So they're all up there. Oh, wow. Uh, and then there's another podcast called Man Versus Radio, which is me doing a podcast. It's just an extended nervous breakdown, but I play a bunch of really cool music. And I put up, I stripped them all down and put up like my favorite 10 episodes, I think, or 15 episodes. So there's that. And then there's another one, there's a third podcast, which I need to get back to doing, which is called Music for the Headphone People, which is M-F-H-T-P or whatever it is, which is a podcast I did for Odyssey Headphones, where I played... Um, a bunch of music that I'd produced and told the stories of each of the records. Cause that was one way that you can get around doing music on podcasts is to play stuff where, you know, the people that own the rights. 
So uh, there's a bunch of really amazing music on that one. And most of it's available on Spotify. So you can actually hear the music, you know, and then sort of like it and whatever, blah, blah, blah. So oh, there's the, I love that. the radio shows one, Man vs. Radio, which is my own podcast. And then the music for the headphone people. And all of those are hyperlinked. There's also an eight minute EPK there that has a good synopsis of everything that i'm doing i'll yeah i'll put the link up and if you know if you need i'd any, also be i'm sorry i was I, gonna I'd say also if, be remiss if i didn't put this out into the universe but if you ever do any like really heavy stuff i hope you do mashuga someday because i would dude i did it where the fuck were you we've done this oh damn it dude, come on now it's <laughs> the like west coast so i probably i might have passed out man if people <laughs> uh if people want to know what they've missed out on and like all the all the new segura fans are like dude I look at that list and then I weep. There's actually like uh, there's a session syllabus website, which is an incredible um, archive that a couple of really lovely fans have done that lists every single song I've done, songs that I teased, songs that like it's just side trips that I took. It's an incredible document. Uh, or there's a session syllabus spotify playlist that lists all of the songs that i've done and it's almost a thousand songs oh, at this wow. point in i'll COVID. grab, all, so, yeah. I'll grab the, all those links for like the Did show i miss show opeth notes. or devin townsend as well yeah i've not missed opeth i haven't done opeth yet and actually the, <laughs> okay. the chick from opeth uh follows me and i want to do it with her in the room which will be kind of cool oh, i did mastodon right yeah, i did I, mastodon and like the dudes from mastodon showed up which was fucking nice. awesome and are sitting in the chat and talking about it but yeah i did uh Mashuga's bleed was the uh, one that I did, which is just bonkers. Damn it, yeah. bonkers! Love that guitar player and drummer. You didn't do did. Temper Trap, Sweet Disposition. Did I yes, I did. One? Did you? Yep. Oh yep. shit, I, I got to find that one. I love that song. Yeah. Um, but hey, listen, if you want to come to Long Island, I'm sure you got it down. But if you don't, I know I know some people that run some venues out here and love you know, some tickets. Pa Patchogue Theater, Paramount, whatever you want to do, let me know. Cool. I would. Uh, it would be very weird to come back to Long Island and do my show there. It's kind of like the same as like the moment I get to go back to England and do a show there, which is is coming. And that these are all like hometown hero does good. Hopefully, yeah, yeah. full yeah, circle, man. man. Yeah, for sure. Yep. All right. Listen. Well, thank you so thank much, you. guys. What a this pleasure. Is an honor. Thank you. Bye. Thank you. Have a great day. Be safe. Later. You got it. Bye. I'm trying to be by myself, myself.